culture. And not just Paul, but his team. And I think that's something we forget. We, we, when we think of Paul's missionary journeys, we think they're his. And uh, he was not alone. And he had a community, he had a team that went with him. And again, we see another example of God gifting the church with each other so that we can do what God has called us to do. We're being the first seven verses of Acts chapter 14. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, it's located on page 923. And we're going to talk about opposition this morning. Questions like this, what do you do when people don't want to listen to what you have to say about Jesus? Well, Florence gave the answer, so let's all go home. Um, (laughs) No, not really, Mike. (laughs) Prayer is definitely part of it, though not the point of this sermon. That'll be a couple sermons from now. But what do you do when people make fun of you for being a Christian, where where the mocking tone comes in? I've shared with you before that sometimes when I tell people what I do, because it is often a question that comes up, they look at me as if I have three heads and two of them are purple. Gets a little weird in the grocery aisles when someone looks at you like that. And so we've all experienced that when our identity as a Christian brings ridicule or even indifference, we're at our places of work or in our neighborhoods. People just don't want anything to do with us because they know we follow Jesus. This is the type of opposition we face here in our country and in our culture. And it's an important question to think about. What do I do when I face opposition because I am a disciple of Jesus? Sometimes I think that ridicule, though when we step back, isn't all that bad. But I think part of our problem is we're not ready for it. We don't prepare our minds to think that there are some people who want nothing to do with me simply because I believe in Jesus. And so while we, in the West, in some ways experience opposition that is less harsh than what we will read about in the book of Acts. Part of our job as believers is one, to understand the type of opposition we experience now, but also be prepared for what the future might hold. The Lord only knows if we will experience in our lifetime or in our kids' lifetimes or our grandkids' lifetime more harsh opposition to the gospel. And we as a church, the worst thing we could do is not be prepared for it. And so I want to answer, at least give part of an answer, to what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus and face opposition? you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, you see our big idea that's going to guide us this morning is this, that we are called to persevere 
through opposition by continuing to share the gospel. So let's look at point number one there. We're to continue to stay. Follow along as I read from Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So the first part of this story is we see belief through the preaching of God's word. This is a pattern you see throughout the book of Acts. They enter into a town or an area, and the first thing they do is they go to a Jewish synagogue. And we saw last week that Paul was sometimes able to speak and would speak from what we call the Old Testament, what they would just call their Bible, and show them how the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus. And so he probably had a similar opportunity here. Luke wanted to make sure that the book of Acts wasn't that long, though, so he left it out this time. But, but we read that when they spoke, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. God is working when his people share the message of the gospel. God moves in the hearts of of people to that when we are faithful to our call he changes their heart of stone to a heart of flesh and in some ways as we're talking about opposition today and persevering and enduring I want to begin in somewhat of a different way in that God promises that when his people preach the word, some will believe. We didn't get to spend much time on this verse last week, but if you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 48, it gives us the hope even in the midst of opposition. This is what Acts chapter 13, verse 48 says. And when the Gentiles heard this, that is Paul's sermon, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They became believers. They became disciples. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, let me stop some of you on everything that that verse could be saying. You can, you can call me up during the week and we can talk about that verse in much detail. But at a very minimum, what you have to see is that God knows and that God in some way has chosen some to believe. They were appointed to eternal life. But why does that give us hope? I've used this story before. I've used this metaphor before. But let's say you wanted to go fishing. And I told you, 
I can guarantee that you will get one fish. You will catch one fish if you go fishing today. That is a miracle. Hello. <laughs> but if, if you didn't know what was going to happen, you might not go. But if I told you you get at least one, you would probably be more motivated to go. And what we need to see in verses 13 to 48 and in the context is as we talk about opposition, that when we share the good news of Jesus Christ who died and rose again to save sinners, some will believe. Because when God speaks and when God acts, it happens. And so there is a hope that we have And we're never promised the multitudes. You know, recently I've read the biographies of George Whitfield and and a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and both of them were blessed by God with preaching to thousands of people at a time. And many people came to faith through their ministries. God does not promise that. In fact, most of the time, he does not promise that. But what he does promise is that when we are faithful, he is at work, and he will change hearts, and some will believe. But that doesn't mean we won't face opposition. What you need to see is that at the exact same time that God is granting fruitfulness of ministry, there is also great opposition. So look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The Jews who did not accept what Paul and his team was saying, they went to the people who did and tried to turn them against Paul and the other believers. That's the reference there to brothers in verse 2. For reasons we see elsewhere, one, that they are just mad that Paul is more popular than they are. And jealousy, again, when we see larger stories about this, we see this again and again. And so they try to turn people away from Paul. They try to turn people away from the message of Jesus Christ. And they poison, it says they poison the minds Probably, at a very minimum, it's a reference to just flat-out lying. To turn people away from the truth. So here, Paul is being opposed in his work. And here's the question. What's he going to do? Look at verse 3. So they remained for a long time. One of the responses that we have to opposition is to stay right there. Notice the connection there. So Luke tells of the problem of people poisoning the minds of these new believers. And then right in the next verse, because this was happening, they stayed right there. They stayed, notice... Not just stayed, they stayed a long time. And sometimes God calls us 
to places where there isn't a lot of success as people might see it. And he doesn't call us there for the short term. And that makes it even harder. But he calls us sometimes to remain a long time. Again, there's a sense of endurance here. I mean, we, we, we might read over that quickly, but to see that Paul, in response to that opposition, just digs his heels in. I tell that to my children sometimes. Look, I will outlast you. I will win this war of attrition. Because now I'm digging my heels in. When they're older, they might beat me at this. But for now... My head is thicker. But what did they do while they were long? They didn't just stay there. We see also they spoke boldly. Again, they were not intimidated by the opposition. The opposition did not shut their mouths. And they continued to say the same thing. Guess what? The same thing that got them into trouble in the first place. And so they stayed. They preached boldly. And, and it, as a gift of God, he gave them miracles. Look at the end of verse 3. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God was acting as a witness to the message. Again, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and crazy things happen and we wonder why. And why don't we see miracles like that today? One of the reasons is the purpose of a miracle and it's very clear here. The purpose of the miracle was to be a witness to the message of the apostles. It answers the question, did God really say? Did God really say, does God really want me to believe that Jesus is the Savior? How do we know? Miracle. An act of God saying, this is my message that my people are saying. Now, as to the question we might raise, well, then why doesn't God do this more? And I think at least part of that answer is to think again about the question. What is the question? Is this God's message? Is this what God wants me to believe? And what do we have today that helps us know, did God really say that? Or is that compatible with what God wants? Is this God's truth? Well, we have God's word today. This story is before the New Testament is written. And so God came into human history in a slightly different way than he normally does today. Not saying he can't, but again, think about what is normal. And he testified to their word because they didn't have God's word to say, look, this is what God has said. But again, as we're thinking of opposition... As we're thinking of when we are ridiculed, when people want nothing to do with us, 
Again, the question for us every day is, how do I respond to that? And one of those responses is we stay and we keep going. We keep boldly preaching God's word. We keep sharing the message that Jesus died for sinners and offers the gift of forgiveness and eternal life to any who would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. Sometimes when we experience opposition, God calls us to dig in our heels and stay. Now that's not the only option we have. So we're to continue to stay. We're also to continue to go. So look at verses 4 to 7. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So in verse 4, Luke tells us that their preaching divided the city. That some believed and some didn't. And again, I think this is a real picture of our experiences today as Christians. For most of our lives, we are going to experience a dividing over who Jesus is. Some will believe and some won't. Again, I think sometimes we either want everyone to reject or everyone to accept, where, where the romantic version of church is either the handful of underground believers or the big megachurch. We, we'd like this either or. We feel more comfortable with that. But if we're honest with ourselves and we understand history, it's always been divided. There's always going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be some who will believe and some who won't. It's always been a mixed bag. We will both succeed in gospel ministry and fail in the exact same day. Maybe the exact same hour. But again, it's this call to persevere. And having real expectations of our lives as believers. When we understand that this is what the real world is like, I don't have to panic. I won't have to panic or be afraid about what's going on around me because I know there are some who will believe and some who won't. There's a normalcy to this that keeps us under control. Now, while the city was divided, I think there's an interesting contrast here in that Luke speaks about a divided city but a united opposition. 
So in verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. If you were with us earlier, you saw how big of a deal it was that the church was called to welcome in Gentiles to the Christian church. And we talked about back then the differences in cultures, the, the, the bias that Jews and Gentiles had against each other, the prejudice that existed. And it's almost humorous that this prejudice goes away when they are both picking on the same group. It's truly an enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the Jews who saw Gentiles as ceremonially unclean are happy to join them in oppressing the Christians. Odd bedfellows indeed. But we also see here an escalation in the opposition. So instead of just trying to turn people away, we see that the goal of this unity was to mistreat them and eventually to stone them to death. So again, the same question comes up. What do I do? What does Paul do now that he and the other believers are threatened with violence? There's a certain sense of wisdom in that there are times to stay and boldly proclaim. But in this example, there are also times where we are called to go. And so we see in verse 6, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countries. Sometimes God calls us to leave areas of oppression and opposition. But here's the difference. Here's the wrinkle in all of this. They still continued to preach the gospel. So while their geographic location changed, their job didn't. So again, sometimes we are to continue and stay and preach, and sometimes we are to continue and go, but we're called to keep preaching God's word. And again, you need to think about it in this way, that this is the reason that they were going to be stoned to death. So, they're smart people. Paul's a smart guy. If I keep doing this, someone else might try to stone me to death. He's not a dummy. But he knows it's what God has called him to do. So while his geographic location changes, his call to preach the word of God does not. And he perseveres in preaching, even though it could mean physical harm. So 
So what do we do with this? How do we persevere in staying and in going? Let me give you three, three big categories as you think about how this changes me today in my life this week. The first one is this. The missionary life of a Christ follower takes endurance. The missionary life of a Christ follower takes endurance. We cannot expect an easy life. We cannot expect life without opposition. We can't expect that if we're a believer in Jesus that everyone will love us all the time and in every way and think we're just the best. You may be the best. Some of you are probably the best. But you will face some sort of opposition if you are faithful to do what God has called you to do. And again, we we might not say it out loud, but I think sometimes we expect that our lives as believers will be easy. And we just do not get that promise in God's word. And we're called to do hard things. We're called to have endurance and perseverance, even in the face of opposition. Secondly, thinking of this idea of expectation, and I think it's very well pictured here, is that we need to both expect fruit and opposition at the same time. Again, I think it's easier for us to either think, well, I'm, everyone's just keeping me down and oppressing me, or God is just blessing my ministry. But that's just not how life is. God will give us fruit in the work that we do for him, but we're also going to experience opposition at the same time. Sometime in the same day. You know, you have one conversation with someone in the morning, and it's really great. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. And this person was really hearing the message of Jesus. And then in the afternoon, you run into somebody else, and they just want nothing to do with you. And instead of getting on this emotional roller coaster of experience, we need to prepare our hearts and our minds that this is just going to happen. And we can't let it discourage our hearts from doing what God is calling us to do. Again, I think one of the big killers of our passion to do ministry in the ways that God has called us to do ministry is discouragement. And we need to push through that knowing that we will both have success and failure every day. Thirdly, and I want to spend a little more time on this, is, is this idea. Don't hide from the world. when we both continue to stay and continue to go, in both of those scenarios, we are out among unbelievers. We are out in our communities. There's a Christian school that some of you may have heard of, 
and it's called Wheaton College. It's in Illinois. Uh, it's a suburb of Chicago. And I was listening to an author once, and it's a good school. So just to give you a couple ideas, two alumni who, who pop out to me. Uh, Billy Graham went there, so he did pretty good for his life. Um, and then John Piper is also a graduate, but many more. It's a great Christian school. But I was listening to an author once, and he said, the architecture at Wheaton College reminded him of a castle. And Matt, go ahead and put that picture up. And this is one of the buildings on Wheaton's castle. And I could see castle here, right? That makes sense. But the way that this author understood it, and this is where, where, you know, this is his interpretation of it. He said what it said to him, the architecture here, was that we're going to stay safe in our Christian community and we're going to protect ourselves from you. That we're building up our defenses against the outside world. Now, I don't know if he's right. I wasn't there when they built it. But I heard what he was saying. And what it reminds me of is that I think too often we find our castle. We find our safe place. And if we're not careful, we'll start defending our safety against the unbelieving world to which we were sent. The Christian life is more than feeling safe and comfortable. And I think it's all too easy for churches to act this way. I think it's all too easy for families to act this way, where we're just going to huddle up in our fortress and keep out the bad guys. And we see in the life of Paul here that, that if anyone could be called a bad guy, I mean, people trying to kill you. Like, that's up there on the list of people who would be considered bad. Right? That's, that's pretty easy to see. But he didn't retreat into his castle. He continued to be out among people who needed to hear the gospel. I want to give you another example of this. You can go to the black screen, Matt. Thanks. I want to give you this another example that has helped me from history. Throughout the history of the church, there have been what we might call religious orders. Whether monks or friars or nuns, that sort of thing. I want to tell you first about the order of the Cistercians. This is also an excellent Scrabble word, um, but too bad it's a proper noun. The Cistercians were around in the Middle Ages, and they are what is called a contemplative order. And the Cistercians, uh, they are defined, and other contemplative orders would be defined as this. They are those whose primarily focus is inward conversion, to grow in union with our Lord for the love of God and the salvation souls. 
Such communities typically have little interaction with the world. These were communities that would come into a monastery and just stay in the monastery. And they would do a lot of praying, a lot of reading, but they would never leave the walls. They would never leave the safety and stability of their monastery. So a couple hundred years after them, we begin to see in church history what are called the mendicant orders. One such order would be called the Dominicans. And one author defines them as such. Unlike monks of the Cistercian or Benedictine orders, mendicants spread God's word in the cities. They were active in community life, teaching, healing, and helping the sick, poor, and destitute. Their personal maxim was, and this is in Latin, so I'm just going to read the translation, not to live for themselves only, but to serve others. They also had monasteries. They also had times of regular prayer and reading and contemplation. But as one author has put, just as a sparrow requires only a few moments of rest on a small branch before taking flight again, so too are such members called to obediently go where they are told. Be it a professor in a school, a spiritual director in a seminary, a manager of a retreat house, or a missionary in a far-off land. And I think one of the warnings we have from this passage is to not be like the Cistercians who stayed in the safety of their monastery, stayed in the safety of their castle, but to be like these mendicant orders who would have time of refreshment, of learning in their monasteries, but the goal was always to be sent out from the monastery to do God's work in God's world. Don't make your life into a castle. Make it into a pit stop to continue the work that God has called you to do. Because when we face opposition, and it will come in very different forms, But when we face opposition, we're called not to retreat. We're called not to isolate ourselves. We are called to continue to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of the Apostle Paul who persevered through opposition to continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he did not give in to fear or despair or to the pressures of his world, but he engaged his culture. He was out in the community and he shared the good news of a risen Savior, a Savior who offers forgiveness and eternal life by his grace through faith. God, that we in the same way would persevere, that we would not give in to opposition, 
that we would not be silenced by circumstances, but that we would continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite those